Well, Joseph Fender uh, has been heralded as one of the best thriller writers in the business, uh, says Associated Press. Um, uh, Joseph is a New York Times bestselling author, um, one of the best thriller writers I've ever read, and I've read some of the greatest, um, uh, Lee Child, DeMille, uh, Baldacci, um, but uh, I'm, I'm getting to be a pretty big fan of Joseph. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well today. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, let's, uh, let's start off by a little, uh, little sketch on uh, The Fixer. Why don't we uh, tell the audience what that's all about? The Fixer is the story of a guy named Rick Hoffman, who is a magazine journalist, who, as the book opens, has lost his job, broken up with his fiance, lost his apartment, got no place to live, and he ends up moving back into the old family house, which has been abandoned for years. While he, he decides he's going to renovate the house, make some money, and when they break through the walls, they find, he finds $3.4 million. And he's, of course, shocked by this, and it's, all, it's like a dream come true, but he's wondering where the money came from. The only person who knows is his father, and his father is in a nursing home having had a stroke, unable to communicate. So Rick has to start digging beyond that mm-hmm. to his father's friends and his former secretary and all this kind of thing. Wow. And it takes on from there. <laughs> it yeah. It takes on from Yeah, I mean, there. it really is. It's, it's the sort of a dream come true that turns into, well, a nightmare in some ways, and turns into... Uh, the discovery of a conspiracy, it sort of it unveils, it unlocks a lot of boxes, basically. Right. Wow. Um, how did you come to write this, this book? I mean, uh, what, what was in your head at the time? Uh, well, it's a couple of things. You know, I, it started out uh, as I talked to some, I was doing some renovation on a house. Um, on your house? And I talked to, yeah. Yeah. And talked to some people in the demo crew, the people who demolish for gut renovation, mm. and they told me that they had found things in the course of their work of tearing house, old houses apart. They would find notes and papers and newspapers and sometimes money. And I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if when you're renovating a house, you find a lot of money? What would happen? And it sort of started with this little fantasy of mine. And but it, the money and the, the, the it becomes a different kind of journey because it really becomes the story of Rick finding out who his father was and why his father had all that money there, where it came from, what his father was doing with it. And, of course, that makes it so much more difficult because his father was, wasn't able to speak. <laughs> right. His father's, and, you know, this actually... My my fa- my father died while I was writing the book, and while about two days before he died, I went to see him, and I basically he was senile and and he was out of it at that point, mm-hmm. and I just talked to him about some of the things that he had done for me, some of the acts of generosity while growing up that I remembered, mm-hmm. and I talked to him, and he wasn't able to answer. I have no idea whether he understood what I was saying or not. But that sort of became a scene in the book 
where Rick is talking to his father and realizing he doesn't know if his father's even understanding what he's saying. Right. Yeah, I um, I lost my dad uh, a while back, and uh, uh, boy, up to at least two years before uh, my father passed away, uh, I'd call him, I'd get on the phone, and I'd have this conversation with him. And then after the conversation, it was like, he doesn't even know who the hell I am. You know, and right. I'd, I'd ask my mom, right. and my mom would say, hey, you know, daddy's just, he's faking it. I mean, he, right. uh, he he's adapting. And uh, did, yeah. you, did you kind of feel that same kind of dynamic with your dad? I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, in some ways it's sort of heartbreaking because you sort of want, because, you know, you know that these are his last days or his last years. Mm-hmm. You want to communicate, and you realize you can't, but you're never sure. Mm-hmm. You can never be sure whether, whether they hear you. I, I talked to a, a nurse who's been involved in, has sort of been there for a lot of the deaths, and she told me that the last sense to go is the sense of hearing. And so it is quite possible that my dad heard what I was saying, whether he understood it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you just never know. That's the thing. Yeah. Boy, I can't wait till I get to that part <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I, I, keep, I keep prompting my children, you know, it's like, hey... When I get to that point, uh, just make sure I'm clean and I got some food right. because, right? Yeah, yeah crazy. Well, um, um, it's, it's heavy, huh? It is heavy. It is heavy. I said it's heavy to contemplate. It really is. Yeah, we well, all go through it. Well, we have these memories of our parents, uh, young childhood memories. You know, first memories, right. um, uh, disciplinary memories, confrontational memories. Yep. All that sh- yep. crap e- e- comes to yep. head, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and what you realize is that you think you know your parents, and in a lot of ways you don't. Mm-hmm. You only know one thin slice mm-hmm. of your parents. You know what they're like as parents to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, after my father died, for example, I found letters that he had written home, letters to his mother, mm-hmm. that sort of revealed this whole side to him that I never, I never knew he had. Yeah. So you keep discovering things. Yeah. You only know you you don't you realize you think you know your parents but you don't and that's sort of part of the story of the fixer is him discovering who his dad really is. Well, yeah, Rick Rick Hoff, uh, Hoffman grew up his dad was a lawyer and so in in the child's mind I guess uh, uh, you know he's a lawyer right and he does good right. things and he does research and he writes papers and this and that but um, right. as, as he finds out. Um, there was a lot more to do with his father. Uh, it may have. It That's may right. Have, yeah, it may have. Boy, I don't know how I would handle that. Actually, I didn't know. I I knew my dad. You know, uh, well, I actually built a really good relationship with him after I was in my thirties and forties. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, my dad was. It takes a, a while sometimes. It does. It does. Um, so you know uh, what was interesting is how Rick uh, changed. As uh, you know, his, 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 he changed his, his feelings about his father. Yeah. Uh, changed, and I think this is an important uh, something important to note in the book that um, uh, your character, uh, your character was well written, and it was uh, plausible and and uh, believable, and and really hit home uh, with me. A couple, you know, uh, I mean, it That's just really hit home. great. Yeah. I, I... 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to show Rick, I wanted to show him sort of evolving as a character. Yeah. And when the book starts, he has sort of lost touch with his values. He's sort of a guy who's lost. Sure. And as the book goes on, he sort of comes to terms with, not only comes to terms with his father, but sort of comes to terms with what he really wants out of life, what life's all about. Right. Yeah, I think any. Yeah, I think any of us adults that that you know go through this uh, process of our parents passing on, it uh, uh, boy, it really woke me up. Um, it it made me realize yeah. what the hell I'm doing here. You know what what am right. I doing? Because as a child, I was I was afraid of my dad uh, because he yeah. was, he was Italian and he was a you know he was brought up you know with the belt and all this crap and uh yep, the belt. catholic yep. and you know i mean mm-hmm. i was the oldest of eight kids and you know so wow. yeah so it was it and catholic school which really screwed me up <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it took yeah. me many 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 the years with their rulers oh well yeah father watts had a paddle and the and sister karen and sister Teresa had the ruler and uh uh, me being a, uh, you know, if someone told me to sit, I'd stand, you know, so I was in trouble right. all the time. <laughs> right. You were just inclined to be rebellious. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is, which is great because I think those qualities, uh, as we get older and understand life and get married and have kids and careers and all that stuff, uh, it's, it's part of our soul and it, uh, I, I'd, I'd never go back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the fixer, the fixer. Um, uh, I derived, uh, you know, uh, the title, uh, um, I yeah. guess the, the, his father being a lawyer was someone who solved problems and fix, uh, fixed when I first saw the cover, uh, what I thought, cause, cause the way, you know, you got some great books out there. I, I thought it was like, uh, the cleaner, uh, you know, yeah. uh, cleaners come in and take care of tidy up things after, you know, uh, murders or whatever. Um, right. So the fixer, uh, uh, the fixer. The fixer means different things as the book goes on. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, the fixer in some ways refers to the old house, which is a fixer-upper, mm-hmm. which he's he's determined to renovate. Mm-hmm. The fixer then becomes his father, who is sort of. Yeah, I guess the the definition of a fixer is someone who who manages things, gets things done behind the scenes, mm-hmm. sometimes illegally. Mm-hmm. Uh, using illegal means, mm-hmm. and so the fixer is sort of a kind of a gray character, mm-hmm. gray area character, mm-hmm. and then it, the fixer turns out to be somebody else. So it kind of it sort of evolves as the book goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So, um, what uh, you know? I think we got into this the last time we talked, but uh, uh, what drives you, man? Uh, you know, you're a hardworking guy, uh, and and you do a lot. Uh, so, you know, what's what's deep down with you? Uh, what what drives you to be the person you are? Because you sound—I've never met you—and well, you sound like a pretty cool guy, actually. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, that's a complicated question because it is complicated. You know, <laughs> as you you know, as you grow up and as things happen, as you lose your parents, mm. you sort of think a lot more about what your life is all about. Mm whether you're making the world a better place, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, in some way. Mm-hmm. Do you sort of add to the community pile or do you take away from the pile? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I like to think that I've sort of, I've helped, I know I help a lot of writers. And, you know, I, I, I think I'm a good dad. Uh, I sort of feel like I'm doing things that make the world a better place. And I write entertainment, mm-hmm. which I think we all need, sort of escape. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, I'm on a book a year schedule, so I, I'm always, when, when a new book comes out, I'm already mm-hmm. deep into the one that comes out a year from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I work pretty hard. But, you know, I, I feel fortunate because I get paid really well to make stories up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid, and I get to do it. And it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, every, everyone complains about their jobs. And I, I hear myself complaining sometimes, and I just say, Matt, get over it. Mm-hmm. Come on. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're doing what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, <laughs> I started this. I had an idea four years ago. I, I said, you know, I like to read and. Why don't I interview somebody? So I, I got a hold of David Baldacci, and he he opened up this huh. whole world for me. He was the first guy I interviewed. I, I never thought oh, I'd yeah. get something like that. It's like Baldacci, yeah. you know? Yeah, Baldacci's terrific. He is. He's he's a he's yeah. a good writer, and he's a good man, and uh, yep. uh, been on the phone he with is. him for years. And uh, I relate to I, I relate to you. I relate to him. Uh, you know, your heritage. Uh, uh, East Coast, uh, hardworking, uh, you know, and 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 what was really cool is uh, um, the bo- um, this book revolves around the Boston area, um, uh, yeah, quite a bit. And I, <laughs> after Woodstock, there was a uh, there was a, um, a concert um, called Watkins Glen up in the Poconos. Um, yeah, a year or so after Woodstock, and I didn't get to go to Woodstock, but I did hitchhike to Watkins Glen, which was a three-day uh-huh. event, right? And uh, yeah. uh, two buddies of mine, uh, uh, we got really lost at that concert, by the way. But anyway, making our way, making our way back, we, um, <laughs> Steve Miller said, "Hey, I got a, I got a girlfriend in uh, Boston. Let's go to Boston." So we hitchhiked to Boston. Get there at like eight huh. o'clock at night, uh, pouring rain. Um, and I remember Haymarket Square. I yeah. just killer, killer area. Of course, I was I was raised in the East Coast, so I grew up in a two hundred year old house, and I love architecture. I love the colonial. Yeah. Um, but but you uh, you you center into this uh, uh, little district in Boston. This uh, uh, what is it? A four or five yep. square block uh, red light yep. district? I don't remember that, man. Where the hell is it? <laughs> Oh right. Well, no, it, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But when you when you when you hitchhiked to Boston, it was there. It was. It was downtown. Yeah, downtown, right next to Chinatown. I'll be a um, of a gun. And it was sort of around a four block square area. It was the red light district in Boston, and it was where all the sort of adult bookstores and adult theaters and mm-hmm. and strip clubs and peep huh. shows and all that kind of stuff. That's where it all happened. Huh. And it was it was actually. A kind of a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember because I moved to Boston in 1980, and I, I went there, down there with a friend, and I realized it didn't feel very safe. And I later heard stories about people who'd been shot to death down in the combat zone or stabbed. Yeah. And it was so it was this really kind of bizarre, funky area where they where all the all the sin was trafficked in, mm-hmm. 
and where there were prostitution, where, where, quite openly, in fact. Uh, and the combat zone turns out to be a figure in to the, the fixer because Rick's father, the lawyer, yes. represented a number of strip clubs in the combat zone, and that may have to do with, that may explain where the money came from. Yes. Well, and the mob was pretty prevalent uh, during that time, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. People remember Whitey Bulger and all that. Yeah. You know, there was, there, was, there was mob activity in Boston. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Much less now, I think. Well, I hope, so. well, yeah, the mob's still there. But I think it's yeah. legitimate now, <laughs> if you want to call it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's, it's legitimate. Well, um, you know, you you mentioned that you do a book a year, and so you must be very methodical uh, on how you craft your outline. Uh, do you do out an outline? I don't remember if I asked you this last time. I, or... Yeah, you, you didn't. Um, I I do an outline, but it's kind of rough. Mm-hmm. I sort of leave areas where I don't know where I sort of don't know how I'll get from step C to step D let's mm. say uh, and even though when I start a book I know how it's going to end I sort of am open as I'm writing to surprising myself mm. if I come up with a better idea uh, I'll make a change mm. and I found that if I surprise myself that means I surprise the reader yeah and so that 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 provides twists that, that readers don't, and that's that's what I want to do is, I want to get people to turn the pages. Mm. I want them not to put the book down, mm. and I want there to be, you know, a fair number of twists where things all of a sudden things are different from what you thought they were. Yeah, kind of like a Deaver model, um, uh, or book, yeah. I should say, because Deaver just, I mean, you. <laughs> I, I've gotten into some of his books, and it's like, what the hell is going yep. on now? You know, it's yeah, like a freaking right. movie. It's like, holy yep. crap. But that's what right. make, that, to me, makes good writing, man, uh, to me anyway. Yeah. Like just, yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's sort of, I mean, you know, I sort of assume that my readers are smart, and I assume they've read a lot of mysteries and thrillers before. Mm-hmm. And I want them to still be surprised by what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I can figure out the ending, I got to change the ending. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's got to be it, basically the book has to contain a mystery. Mm-hmm. This is what thrillers are really all about: is starting with a question and answering it by the time the book is done. Yes, and so and and pulling the reader along to make him or her want to uh, get the answers and go through cliffhangers and go through twists and go through unexpected scenes, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the eventually, more unexpected, the better. Yeah, and eventually read more books because, hell, if, you can, if right. you can capture one person with one book, you can surely go on. Hey, um, i got a question for you. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's move off this for a second and go into um, – uh, we talked about your life as a child. Um, uh, you lived in – Kabul for some time and yep. yeah, you know you spoke Farsi and everything and uh, you were uh, recruited by CIA but decided not to yep. um, but you also um, you also majored in uh, Russian studies or something right? Right. You know, okay. Yeah I was a Russian studies major in yeah. college. Okay so. Went to grad school actually. <laughs> yeah yeah okay now I in the 70s and 80s uh, Russia was the bad guy. 
Right. Now China's the bad guy. Yeah. But what's really going on with Russia? <laughs> because <laughs> The thing is, I think Russia still is the bad guy in a lot of ways. Thank you. Um, in some ways, we're involved in a different sort of Cold War. Mm-hmm. Russia is no longer communist, no longer Soviet, but it is still a, a, a nation that is quite suspicious of the U.S. and is being led by Putin, who is, in fact, you know, he's willing to go to push the envelope in, in the Ukraine, for example, uh, which basically puts us on a war footing. So I think that we are in more of a cold war in Russia than a lot of people give it, a lot of people are sort of realize at this point. Hmm. Well, yeah, and and I, and I and Putin's still from the old regime, right? I mean, he's the old guard, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's an old KGB guy, basically. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Is this personal to Putin, or is this the old March? Um, you know, I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's Marx and Lenin. I think that you know, there is one of the ways that leaders, that dictators especially, uh, rule, is by instilling fear of outsiders, and there's a kind of polarization and atomization that takes place when you when you're a dictator ruling a country. Uh, so that you have people who are basically afraid of the government, um, but they're also afraid of outsiders. They're, you know, they've been taught that the U.S. is very aggressive and out to get them, and that's one of the ways that Putin holds on to power is by scaring ordinary Russians. Mm-hmm. So even though we don't have imperialistic designs, uh, Putin basically implies that we do. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that seems to be a tactic that's working all uh, working well for the Muslim radicals now. Um, yep, and, which scares the which hell. Which is a whole different kind of level of of, of you know it, of threat. It really is. Which we we do not know how to deal with. Well, it's religious. It's religious based. How the hell are you going to yep. change a a religious culture? You can't. Right. I don't think you could do it. Um, so, so what, rooted in Islam. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> who are we supposed to be afraid of these days, Joe? <laughs> I, I mean, there are a lot of bad guys out there, and uh, a lot of bad guys. There's actually a, there's, there's a lot. So you know, yeah. uh, but I think Americans don't really think about that too much. People don't really think much about hacking, for example. There's this. It sort of seems like something that happens at the margin people aren't going to be concerned about but in fact you know uh, the power grid can be shut down uh, the banking system can be shut down all these things can happen the airports can be shut down yeah. uh, through computer hacking yeah. and my guess is these things will happen yes. and when they do people will say oh wow so the Chinese really are messing around with us or the North Koreans or yeah. whatever was it really the North? Was it really the North Koreans that uh, brought down that uh, bank or whatever it was a few months back? Or brought down so? I mean, the big uh, Sony. I, yeah, right? Sony. Right. 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 Yeah. Right, right. I I wonder about that. I got to tell you, it seemed so much like an inside job. 
Yeah, it be yeah, especially because North Korea's got like one uh one uh highway to uh, with the internet. I mean, it's 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 uh I don't know what the hell you'd say how you'd say it, but uh, yeah. they don't have the infrastructure as far as I no. know. Uh Christ, they don't even let their their population, you know, have have web yep. access cuz Obviously, they don't want any them to know what the hell's going on with the rest of the world. Um, That's right. Yeah. Because once people start getting plugged into the Internet, finding out what's going on, mm. that means that the, the government no longer has the same tight control over them. Mm. Mm. So, But you're right. You know, North Korea is a quite a primitive, undeveloped country. Mm-hmm. They do have some very sophisticated hackers, uh, and they often work with the Chinese. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... We don't know where the next threat is coming from. Yeah, but in my business, that's a good thing. Right, keeps you in business. <laughs> keeps yeah. me in business. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what um, what's your take on uh, how the government is handling uh, all this crap out there? Um, okay, no, let me put it, let me put it this way. I've okay. I've always thought for many many years because I worked I worked in the defense industry back in the seventies uh, and uh, I always thought that we're never going to know the truth from our government. There's been so much yeah. disinformation out there for many 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 decades, and I I'm I'm personally losing faith um, in, in some of the. Uh, Let's call it the old guard that's still in government, um, mm-hmm. still running this country. I mean, uh, it's like we we're not learning anything, man. You know, it, it's, yeah, that's right. And so, what? It's, what it's a weird thing about our government too. Is basically, we change we change government every four years or every eight years, yeah. and yet the bureaucracy remains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't change. They're still there. Ugh. Well, I know one person that's going to help change and uh you know getting back to uh authors like yourself who write books for entertainment and escape i i think you're right on that uh, uh there's so much there's so much uh visual and audible stimulus out there uh through the internet yeah. and tv and everything else that i think books are here forever because uh yeah Myself, when I read, I I I, I go into the zone, and mm-hmm. you know I'm aware of everything. But yeah, I, you know, uh, reading is a very different experience. It really it's very is. cool. It is cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like right now, I'm reading the new Stephen King book, Finders Keepers, which I call Fenders Keepers, of course. Right, right of course. <laughs> uh, and I sort of realized I I want to get back. I, I put it down, but I want to get back into that world that he's created. Yeah. And it's it's powerful in a way that movies and TV are not. You know, we all we all get bombarded with images on the screen, yeah. with uh, you know action and with special effects and all that kind of stuff, which is makes cool for cool movies. But we're still it's a different experience reading a book. It's like you you basically cast it, cast the story in your own head, and you're the director. Right. It's very exciting. Yeah, it is I love exciting. Reading. Yeah, cool. Well, I like reading too, and I like talking to you, Joseph. I think you're uh, a you. pretty cool guy and uh, a little bit of a 
well, there's a connection there, and uh, I can't yeah. I can't wait to to see more of you, man. I really can't. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's it's true. It's it's not bullshit. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I hope to tell it like it is till I die. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know. All right. Well, listen. Um, I think uh, I think our time is up. Um, um, obviously, your books are. Uh, in all kinds of formats and uh we can jump yep. on any any site anywhere and grab the fixer um which yep. uh let's see it comes out what today or tomorrow or comes out on tuesday T- tomorrow tomorrow yeah. hey there you go i don't know when this is airing uh, uh this is this is going to air next uh two weeks from now uh, all right so it's yeah. out in the stores at that point yeah it's you can get it on an ebook form and an audio yep. You got an Amazon or your local independent bookstore or a chain bookstore. It's all it's in all the stores. Great. Well, Joseph, thank you very much. Um, I wish you all the success and uh, a safe life, and uh, hope to get you back on the phone next year. That would be great. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. Bye bye.